Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's Saturday night with Esme Murphy. Six oh eight, folks in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you back again on a Saturday evening, along with Devin. I haven't been here in three months. How it, are you? I am good. How are you? Good. I hear you all the time with Dave Lee. Yeah. I remember, like the first show you did, I think was with me, yep, yep. and then now you you've gone big time with with Dave Lee at all. I was, I was so nervous doing that first show with you, and I still am. Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't gotten any. Well, I think you were saying you were so nervous doing your first show with Dave Lee. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm still nervous with him. Well, and it's not that not that um, you know it's not that Dave is like an no. intimidating guy at all because he's the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. But there's a lot going on in that show. It's I mean, so a like, lot going on in that show. There are a lot of moving parts, and I, it's yeah. got to be tough. It's so fluid, and you know, a lot of stuff isn't working here right now. We're always having troubles. But he's such a pro. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I yeah, make yeah, mistakes yeah. every five to ten minutes, but he's yeah. Able to just well, I hear them like harassing you about your dating life, oh and you know, gosh. and I'm like, oh my god, Devin! <laughs> I did not. I should have never mentioned that. And since then, we are getting texts and emails and calls about my what I should be doing and all this stuff. And I, and then I found out uh, Friday they've been talking about it without me there. <laughs> so it's been a hot topic, <laughs> but it hasn't helped. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, you are very uh, you. you Folks who are out there listening, he's he's a very cute, nice oh, guy in his twenties. Thank you. Um, super eligible, but if you're working on a Saturday night with me in a studio, I don't think that's helping your yeah. life that much until midnight. Yeah. But um, anyway, so your 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 schedule's all over the place, isn't it? Oh, all over. I I could read it to you right now, but yeah, it's it's very complicated. It's very complicated. Okay. Every weekend though, so I don't have a dating dating life. Well, that's hard if you're working all yeah. the time, and then you're working those morning hours, which is tough. Yeah. And I, I'm going to be working morning hours tomorrow as well. I'm here till nine o'clock, just like the old times. We've got eight o'clock. We got Dave Schultz, uh, and then tomorrow morning, uh, I'm going to be at WCCO TV for six a.m., ten thirty a.m. Want to let you know that uh, we've got uh, Congressman Dean Phillips will be on, and we also have uh, the chief medical officer from Children's Hospitals in Minneapolis, St. Paul, to talk about. The actual damage that's being done to children and teens' lungs from vaping. We're going to talk about vaping also on this show as well. So please tune in for that. But it feels great to be back. I was worried that that my little fob wouldn't work, that I couldn't get (laughs) in the building. And I came here early because it's the zombie pub crawl tonight. And I was telling somebody else who had concerts, he was going to the Kansas. Have Mm -hmm. you ever heard of Kansas? Oh, yeah, yeah. We were talking about it Friday. Yeah, yeah. The Kansas Kansas show. It's um you know it's a, they're a big band you know people like them they've been around forever mm-hmm. I, and I was telling somebody who was going I was like you got to get there early there's the zombie pub crawl you may not get and I didn't have any problems with the zombie pub crawl but I guess I came in kind of on the other side of downtown by WCCO TV yep, um, and came around as opposed to by the Target Center where I know that some streets are blocked off yep. maybe the weather is going to have yeah. a negative impact on the zombies folks if, if you don't know what the, what we're talking about here. Um, I actually looked it up to try and explain it to this friend of mine who was coming to the Kansas concert. Uh, in 2014, they set 
the Guinness Book of World Records for the most zombies. There were 15,000 zombies in downtown Minneapolis, and they know that because you have to buy tickets. Yeah. And they block off streets by the Target Center. I mean, it's kind of like... I didn't know it was that big. Yeah, it, 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 it's the biggest zombie event in the U.S. Because I, I see it all over Facebook, months yeah. months in advance. Get your tickets for Zombie Crawl, it, you know, and then all my friends are posting Right, it and, and there, there was a German DJ who has a, a concert at, is it Zed? Um, yes. Who has a concert, Zed, okay. Um, he has a concert at the Armory, so it's, it's a big deal. I didn't see any problems. I did not have any problems getting here. And, of course, we've got the big, big U of M Nebraska game. Uh, over at TCF Bank Stadium, I did, as I was coming sort of the back way to CCO Radio, I did see a ton of Gopher fans all decked out in their Gopher gear. Uh, one guy had his snowmobile suit on, which I thought good, idea. good for him. I, you yeah. know, not a bad idea. I mean, you need that insulation. Yeah. So I'm sorry, when you're sitting there, I, I know, what are we in, the 30s or, well, I've got the weather right in front of me, 37 degrees. It It, it doesn't. I mean, 37 is relatively mild for football weather, but when you're sitting in there and you aren't used to it and it's wet on top of it, and which windy. it is, and windy, yep. um, it's it can be – you need your snowmobile suit, folks. <laughs> so um, anyway, good, good luck to the Gophers with that. We've got a great show lined up for you. I'm so, this is like so much fun to be back. I like gave Jonathan a hug. <laughs> she gave you, Devin, a hug. I mean it's just – it's kind of really cool. I saw um, – Steve and Eric, you know, it's, and I, it's funny because I listen to all you guys. So yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, there's, you know, there's Devin. He's moving up in the world. He's with Dave Lee and <laughs> yeah, it's, everything. Yeah, it's so fun because Rashini's back now on Sundays. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I get to do her show and now your show. I'm like, it's so f- – because your show and Rashini's is so, like, upbeat. And oh, fun. good. It is. And you have your smiles and then – you're just over here smiling, so it's fun to get some new energy. Oh, okay. Life put well, back into this place. Well, it really, you know, something I really miss. I really do enjoy radio. I really do. Um, it's you know, I I just love the idea that I could come over here in my pajamas. I'm not in my pajamas, Damn. folks, but I, it's I it's really it's really <laughs> nice, yeah. and it's really fun. And I've I've missed all of you, so it's great to be back. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with uh, Laura Olivan. I believe is, that's how she pronounces her name. We'll find out. She's the tobacco control manager of the Minnesota Department of Health to get the latest on this vaping situation because it is bad, folks. And a lot of people are doing it. I know that there are some people who have used it to successfully get off cigarettes, and I'm going to ask her about that. But there are also so many kids that do it, and I've got kids in this age group Thank God they are not vaping, but um, it's something that I know a lot of parents and a lot of people are concerned about. So keep it here. You're listening to News Talk 830. It is so great to be back on CCO Radio on a Saturday evening. Esme Murphy with you along with Devin, our producer. Uh, we're chatting now with Laura Oliven. Did I say your name correctly, Laura? Oliven. Oliven. Okay. Just, just the way it's written. Okay. I'm trying to get fancy. Oliven. She is the tobacco control manager in the Minnesota Department of Health. And Laura, you know, it's been literally three months since I've done my Saturday night show. And three months ago, this was not the red hot button issue. This is right now. This has all happened very, very quickly and a lot to worry about. What is the latest status of, of injuries and, and illnesses here in Minnesota that you know of? Well, I think it is remarkable how fast the landscape is changing, isn't it? Uh, so uh, according to the CDC, as, October, uh, as of October 8th, there were 1,299 
injuries and 26 deaths. And then uh, here in Minnesota, uh, we update our numbers daily, uh, but the latest one is from October 11th. There were 68 confirmed or probable cases and then 34 under review. So 60 cases um, uh, of injuries or illnesses. Yes, it's 68 confirmed or probable uh, cases. There's a, a defined uh, definition for what constitutes a case. So that's 60, and then 34 of them are under review. So and, is, that, uh, is that 34 in addition to 68? It is. Okay. It is. And I know there was one death. Sadly, that is true. Okay. Um, so that's, and l- let me ask you, what, what is, what are the injuries? And because this is very serious, people are in the hospital for for long mm-hmm. periods of time. Mm-hmm. What what kinds of things are you seeing? Well, I can't speak for the injury people. I am the tobacco control manager, yeah. but uh, there are many uh, severe symptoms, uh, trouble breathing pain. Then once people are in the uh, hospital, it can be very severe and uh, many are intubated. They can't breathe on their own. Oh. And it uh, they're very serious injuries. And now with so many resulting in death nationwide, it's an area of concern. And officials at CDC and at the state health department are working 24-7 to try and figure out what the pattern is and it uh it's puzzling for sure you know i, I there the state released a, a survey a student survey they take a stur- survey mm-hmm. of, of students actually it's not just high school students middle schools and high mm-hmm. school students and it really shocking 20% say they vape regularly in 11th grade i'm not surprised because i've got a senior and i've got a sophomore in college so i've got i i'm in that age group and i'm i'm my kids' ages are the ones that, you know, their friends started vaping. I'm, I'm very grateful that neither of them do that I know of. And um, it, it's it's scary, but it, it just suddenly happened about five years ago where these kids That's started vaping. Right. And, and I know a lot of, you know, I, I know a lot of, it, it's not easy being a parent and you're trying to juggle a lot of things. And I, th- I know a lot of my friends were like, well, at least they're not smoking cigarettes or they're not smoking marijuana, but you know, lo and behold, obviously you can smoke marijuana. What, what are what is your take on um, the efforts to try and alert kids now to say, "Hey, we know more now. Please don't do this." Yeah, well, they're uh, quite comprehensive. You know, we just released the data last week, and in fact, the numbers were so high, and the situation is so alarming that Governor Walls had a, held a press conference with the Commissioner of Education and our commissioner from the Department of Health. I was there. Uh, oh, fantastic to highlight the dangers. So you heard. So we have a 54% increase in 11th grade use. Now one in four youth are uh, what we call uh, vaping regularly. Well, it's it's the kids report. Yeah, yeah uh, they report 30 day use. But uh, what is equally, if not more alarming, is that we've had some surges in eighth and ninth grade use. So we had a, almost a hundred percent increase in eighth grade use and a seventy-five percent increase in ninth grade use. Right. The so, eighth grade figure was, I think, eleven percent. So that's more than right. one in ten vaping regularly. So if you think your kids are too young to be into this, mm. uh, think think again. Think um, again is right. 
So, uh, you know, this is very dangerous to you, uh, for young people. Their brains are developing, the synapses are forming, and when uh, young brains get exposed to sustained nicotine, it changes the chemistry of the brain and dramatically increases their susceptibility to addiction. Addiction to the e-cigs they're using, it increases their likelihood of smoking and going on to combustible tobacco use uh, by four times. And then it increases the likelihood of later addiction to drugs and alcohol. So, and the earlier that young brains are exposed to levels of nicotine, the high, the more quickly they become addicted and the higher the likelihood that uh, it will be long-term. We're chatting with Laura uh, Oliven. She is the tobacco control manager at the Minnesota Department of Health. We are all hearing loud and clear that that message that you are giving us. Let me ask you this, though, because when when e-cigs first became a thing, which is about five or six years Mm -hmm. ago Mm -hmm. now, I did interview some folks who said it was the one thing that was able to get them off of cigarettes. Mm. What do you think about that? Well, I do have a lot of thoughts on that. So first of all, uh, addiction is very hard, and nicotine and tobacco addiction is extraordinarily difficult. So it can often take seven times uh, for people that use tobacco to quit. There are seven FDA-approved medications uh, that have been reviewed and are safe and approved by the Food and Drug Administration, and they increase your likelihood of success by uh, 30, uh, three times. You become three times more likely to quit. Wow. So, I, you know, I didn't know that. I didn't know that there were seven medications. These are prescription medications you could get from a doctor. Uh, they range from over-the-counter, oh, okay. so that's the patch, the gum, the lozenge. Yeah. And then there are two uh, prescription medications, Chantix and Bupropion, and they are uh, pr- uh, uh, approved by the FDA, which means they're safe. And they are there's evidence to show that they will increase dramatically increase your likelihood to to uh, quit. So uh, people are uh, moving or cigarettes will help them quit. So there are these. Some have uh, shown that there that people can have success, but many have shown that they're not. So the research is not definitive. But what we do know and what CDC tells us is that many people that uh, move from cigarettes to e-cigarettes end up uh, with what we call dual use. So they're layering their nicotine addiction. Wow. So why would you chance it? Why would you yeah. uh, move to something that's not approved by the FDA that where the success is not definitive? Right. I see. I think the problem was there was this window where, you know, because these things were so new, there hadn't been the research, mm-hmm. there hadn't been these health findings. And there's been a window the past number of years. As mm-hmm. I said, I mean, just three months ago, the last time I, I did know. a show here, nobody was talking <laughs> about this because I guess nobody knew and so there is a generation, this you know, Generation Z that has grown up with vaping, and they've been doing yeah. it, you know, much the way people started cigarettes when when I was way back in the day. You know, they, people started in seventh grade. Uh, it was the thing you well, did. Well, uh, yeah, a couple of things. There's kind of this danger. There was this dangerous a vacuum of information 
misperception, and of course the FDA didn't act. The irony is that all these e-cigarette makers will be submitting their uh, products for uh, so-called pre-market review in May 2020. Well, that's ironic considering they've been on the market for years. But, uh, you know, there was one really fantastic piece of uh, good news in our Minnesota student survey, and that, I'm pleased to tell you, is that we reached an all-time low in youth cigarette use. We're now uh, at 5% for 11th graders and lower for the lower grades, and that uh, some people consider end game numbers. So uh, what, what do we attribute that to? Decades of public health messaging, information, and media campaigns, and policy changes, and cigarette taxes, and clean indoor air. So we know what works. That's the good news. And we've been, it's really a public health success for cigarettes. Now we have to take all of those evidence-based strategies and use them for e-cigarettes right. because this one got away with us and then soared. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think e- that that's one of the best. Your your the vacuum of information that term you use, Laura, is is one of the better terms I've heard for describing kind of that silence that that was there for for you know a number of years until very very recently. Uh, you know, I think the problem is, and, and as I said, I do have kids in, in this age group that that are where many people are vaping. I, People aren't – they aren't smoking. <laughs> the kids aren't smoking. The, you know, the, yeah, yeah. The high school kids aren't smoking, but they are vaping, and that's the problem. Yeah, they're vaping. And one other uh, layer to this that is very concerning to me as well, uh, in our youth tobacco survey from 2017, in that survey, we did ask them, what's in your vape? And 34.7, so a little over a third of the kids, reported that they had used recreational marijuana, THC, or hash oil in their vape. Okay, and which which survey uh, was this? uh, So uh, the one we just released, student survey, uh, 2017, every three years, we do the Minnesota Youth Tobacco Survey. That's a survey just on tobacco. Oh, okay. The student survey, the one we just did, asked the uh, kids questions across, you know, a, a wide domain. But in 17, it's a survey that where we can ask a lot more questions. And we said, what are you vaping? So is it just nicotine or is there something else? And one third of the kids that are regular, were regular e-cig users reported that they had at least once used their, uh, vape, their, you know, e-cig device. Uh, for THC with THC. Which, and so obviously that, that's something that's not sold over the counter here in Minnesota no, because it's illegal. No, so they're, they're no. I mean, not only, not only are they hurting themselves, but they're also, you know, engaging in this illegal activity, which is obviously potentially dangerous. Very uh, dangerous. Very, very dangerous. Right. Uh, because uh, the trouble with these devices and THC is, that you can, you know, in the non-medical arena, is you can add anything to them. And people are mixing mm. uh, the car. You know, you hear everything from vitamin E to anything that adds viscosity. It could be oil. You don't know what level of marijuana. And here's the other thing. They can vape them in plain sight because it, there's no odor. You know, and it's the same with right. combustible cigarettes. You could tell when someone was smoking and that uh, ended up limiting where people could use it, when they could use it. And that's the trouble with these kids 
is they can uh, use it in schools and classrooms and bathrooms. And frankly, Esme, we don't know if it's marijuana use or nicotine use. So it doesn't have that marijuana smell? No, no. And in fact, if oh, they wow. have blue, you know, all of these come, there's over 15,000 flavorings. And sometimes you'll smell kind of a fruity smell. So you could have a cherry, blueberry, who knows what smell, and you really don't know what's in that vape. Right. So you could be you could be smelling the cherry blueberry. And in fact, there could be the, t- the illegal mm-hmm. THC in there. You know what? A very uh, we get, uh, read all these surveys, and we use these to, uh, for, uh, to base our actions. And I'll talk about the actions we're going to take. But one of the most powerful experiences I've had actually was at the state fair, and we had a booth, the MDH booth, and we highlighted the danger of vaping. And it's in the education building, and we had a steady stream of teachers and chem health and school nurses and principals, and. For four hours, it was story after story of kids where their uh, their sh- hands are shaking because they have so much nicotine oh. exposure. Kids that are going out in the ambulance because they're so high they can't function. Teachers after teacher reporting they're vaping in the schools. Oh, that's terrible. So, and in their classrooms. Uh, so, and here's the one final thing. The uh, the device of choice is something called the Juul. Yes, and it comes in a record high five percent level of nicotine. That that level is banned in other countries. So our wow. youth are being exposed to record high levels of uh, nicotine. They're exposed to uh, the chemicals and the aerosol and the flavoring and the particulates that are going deep into their uh, lungs. And they are uh, using it or sucking on these, you know, easily hidden devices all day long. Wow. All right. So let me, let me, to, yeah, let me, and I'm, I'm sorry because we're going over here. What, can you just tell oh. us quickly some of the things that you're going to be trying to do to, to remedy this yes. situation? So the Governor Walls is already talking about increasing minimum sales age to 21. And that's going to have to go through uh, the place, legislature, as I understand. Yes, it is. All, uh, all I, I don't think you're going to get much uh, opposition there. I find that. Almost impossible to believe. <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, we'll see. I, I, hope I would so. hope not. Uh, I would hope not, right. No. Uh, so restrictions on the sale of flavored tobacco, including menthol. And there's discussion of limiting uh, Internet sales because that appears to be a loophole where kids are buying Absolutely. these products. All right. Well, listen, Laura, thank you so much. Really appreciate your information As I said, it's uh, alarming, it's scary, and a lot of kids are doing it. A lot of adults are doing it as well. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time this Saturday. My pleasure. Anytime, Esme. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Take care. All right, folks. uh, We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to give you some weather. It feels more like, gosh, mid-November than mid-October out there. So keep it here. You're listening to News Talk 637 on a Saturday evening in mid-October where it feels like it's more like mid-November, 38 degrees out there. Uh, When I came in, definitely some rain showers, snow showers, kind of slick out there. So take, be careful, take it easy. We're, we're, we're kind of slamming into that season. (laughs) No easy gradual transition around here, folks. We're just getting right into it. 
Well, I did want to talk uh, this half hour about something that a lot of people don't focus on, and it's something you used to hear more about, but it is still a problem. Uh, Sexually transmitted disease rates continue to rise in the U.S. Syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia are especially higher in numbers and making a big comeback. Uh, Joining us right now is Williams Greer. He is with the Community Health Program, and he's a supervisor at the wonderful Red Door Clinic. And uh, do I have your name right? Is it Williams or William? William. Yep. William. Okay, great. I had a little S on here, and I thought, mm, no, that, that would be an unusual. Many people do. It's quite all right. Okay. <laughs> um, and the Red Door Clinic, of course, has been around for, for so long. They do a wonderful job. Uh, why don't you start by sort of telling us about the clinic for, for people who don't know about it? Yeah, definitely. So Red Door is the oldest and largest sexual health clinic in the state of Minnesota. We actually turn 50 next year. Wow. Um, Yeah, so it's a long time dealing with uh, sexually transmitted infections. Uh, We're downtown Minneapolis on the corner of 6th and Portland on the fourth floor. Um, And we offer a wide variety of services, uh, primarily around sexual health education, testing, and treatment. Okay, can people just come in? Yes, we do have uh, walk-in appointments as well as they can call ahead and schedule appointments. So we try to be as accommodating as possible. Um, you know, really want to make sure that we can be there for people to come in whichever way they come. So if they have insurance, awesome. If they don't have insurance, awesome. If they just want to walk in on a random Wednesday, great. If they want to call ahead and set an appointment for Friday, great. Um, we're really just here to help the community however right. we can. And, and certainly, you know, um, I, I'm old enough to have been a reporter here during the height of the AIDS crisis. I, the Red Door Clinic really was some an organization that saved lives mm-hmm. and really was, you know, something on the front lines of, of that war. And obviously, you know, there are medications now, thank goodness, that, that can contain that. But there are still a lot of problems here in this area. What do you think is going on? Do you think people just sort of think it's not going to happen to them or they think that the threat is over or they just aren't really thinking or all of the above? (laughs) That's a really good question. I would say a little bit of all of the above, Um, you know, thinking about, well, I think there's a couple of different things. So one thinking about where we are um, as, as a society in in this time um, and looking at kind of the age demographic, um, which where uh, infection rates are highest um, which is kind of like that under 35, but primarily concentrated within like the 20-something range. Um, thinking about when they were in school, what were they learning about sex, if at all? Right. Um, so now they've grown up, they've become sexually active, but they don't necessarily have the foundation of sexual health that many generations around them had. Um, also, I think when it comes to safer sex, there are kind of two main things that people want to prevent, and that's pregnancy and HIV. And so, you know, a lot of times when we talk about condoms, when we learn about condoms and safer sex practices, things like that, um, the, the main focus of that discussion is around preventing pregnancy and HIV. And so STDs kind of take a back seat, um, and it's something that people don't think about that much. Um, so when we come into uh, prevention methods like PEP and PrEP and birth control and things like that, all of a sudden condoms aren't necessarily as relevant anymore um, to a degree. And so, so condoms can't protect you from all of these sexually transmitted diseases, right? Yes. Condoms are still very, very effective at preventing all sorts of things. Um, 
So, you know, definitely still a preventative measure that has use and merit within within the sexual health realm, for, for sure. Okay, so it, it can help prevent. So, But it's not a guarantee, is it? Well, I think when we get into that, we kind of have to look at what we're talking about. Okay, um, proper looking, use, that kind of thing. Right. So if, uh, according to the CDC, I want to say there's about a 2% failure rate of condoms in like perfect settings. So if you're in a lab having, you know, being intimate with an android and there's like scientists around you making sure all the conditions are right, then you got about a 2% failure rate. Um, If you're using condoms out in the real world, that drops to about 12 to 15%. so, which is still pretty good, considering um, you know, consider all things considered. Um, so, condoms still are very effective in in helping prevent things. Um, but you know, again, they're not necessarily on everybody's radar. There's a lot of shame that can come around um, with condom use. Um, you know, so there's there's societal barriers to that as well. Right. I. I, I... It's hard to believe that there would be shame associated with condom use, but I guess I guess you know you're somebody who's the expert here, um, and, and that's something that I think would be alarming as well. Um, are, are people when they come in, are they kind of thinking maybe I've got something, um, or I'm worried about something, or I'm worried about my partner? I mean, what's sort of the spectrum of what you're seeing? It ranges all across the board, actually. Um, You know, we have many clients who, like, this is their routine. You know, like, you get your oil changed every three months. Some people come in and get tested for sexually transmitted infections every three months. Um, So, you know, it's just part of maintaining good health. Um, I think other people uh, come in when they think something might be wrong. So maybe there's um, discharge or something doesn't feel quite like it should. and then there's, you know, everybody in between. So some people who may be worried, some people who think I haven't gotten checked in a while, so maybe I should. Um, so it, it kind of covers the gamut with that. We're chatting with William Greer. He's the Community Health Program Supervisor at the Red Door Clinic in downtown Minneapolis. What, what you know, the national figures show an increase. What are you seeing, you know, at your clinic mm-hmm. and in Hennepin County? Yeah. So in Hennepin County, well, Hennepin County and Minnesota, um, over the last couple of years, we're kind of on track with whatever the national trends are, just in our own small way. So, um, you know, the increases in chlamydia and gonorrhea, we're seeing those in Minnesota, too. Um, Is it at the same rates as some place like D.C.? Not at all. Um, But there is still an increase happening. Um, So, for example, within Hennepin County, um, the 2018 rates for chlamydia were about uh, 683 per 100,000 people. Um, Now you compare that to D.C., which I think was around 1,200 people. Right. So so we're not great, but we're not that bad either. so, but we are we are on trend with the rest of the country, and that things are are starting to to show up more. Do you think that the education piece of this is enough? I mean, whether it's in the schools or just out in general. I mean, I guess you've got to get people when they're in school. But do you think is it enough? I think that in order to get out ahead of this, it's it's going to take a. Uh, a multi-pronged approach. And I think education is a really big part of that. Um, Not only just for the sake of 
giving people the knowledge and tools that they need to make the best decisions for themselves, um, but also in the sense that education has a way of, uh, I guess, normalizing, for lack of a better word, um, some things that can be really touchy conversations. Um, you know, thinking about sexually transmitted infections, the, the main thing about that is you have to have a conversation about sex, right? Um, and that's something that most people don't want to talk about with friends, family, um, you know, in schools, because it's, it's a really taboo right. subject. So when we get into education around sex, all of a sudden it becomes this normal thing that people do. And so, you know, if something comes up, then, you know, you, you go get it taken care of, just like we talk about um, overall health and getting your flu vaccine and washing your hands during flu season. You know, there's not a whole lot of shame or stigma if you get a cold. Um, it doesn't mean you're a bad person right. or you did anything dirty, but, you know, if you get diagnosed with chlamydia, all of a sudden, you know, you did something bad. Um, So, you know, again, with that education, um, help normalizing it and and getting people comfortable with, you know, kind of what happens when you're in the game. You know, and I guess, and I'm, I'm a mother, I, you know, I, I, I don't know the answer to this question, but I'm just wondering how much when it comes to sex education, are they getting in terms of you know, information about sexually transmitted diseases. I, and I don't, I don't know the answer for my own, you know, and I, I'm like, Ugh. yeah, I don't and, and it's know something you don't, Nobody wants to talk about, you know, yeah. I, I'm sure they don't want to talk about it with me, but maybe I need to talk to, about it with them. <laughs> well, and it's, it's really interesting. Uh, although I'm not a parent yet, I do have a nephew. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, even I find myself at times like I can stand in front of a room of, you know, 500 people and talk about sex all day. And then I get a call from my nephew and all of a sudden I start to blush. Yeah. So, you know, that, that happens. Or it's the last thing he wants to do, talk to right. I mean, Maybe he wants to talk to you about a whole, a whole bunch of things, but not that. Right. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a difficult conversation to have regardless of who or where you are. Right. Um, but one that's far, obviously necessary. Right. And so I think being that safe person to have that conversation with whoever you're having it with um, or being seen as that safe person to go to um, who can refer people on. So, you know, my my nephew may not want to have that conversation with me, but I have friends and colleagues that I trust with good yeah. information. I have resources to, to, to give to him. Yeah if he needs that information. So, you know, with you and your kids, you might not be the one they want to talk to, but knowing where to send them, knowing where to get solid information to give them, and then just being open to to having that conversation or being a thought partner around whatever it is they're encountering um, can, can be just as helpful. Let me ask you about, uh, are you still seeing cases of HIV coming in your door at the Red Door Clinic? Yes. Mm-hmm. You are. Is, HIV is still very much so a thing. Um, you know, I think over the past number of years, we've been able to hold steady um, in, in our rates of HIV. Now we're starting to see them um, curve down, thankfully, but it is definitely still something that, that occurs. And, and do you have any um, idea if, if most of the cases are, are sexually transmitted or is it, HIV, or is it a, um, intravenous drug use or a combination of both? The vast majority is still um, from sexual transmission. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? And uh, is there – and, you know, I, I actually had a cousin um, who died of AIDS um, who uh, – and 
she was it was it was in the first wave of AIDS in New York City, and she actually died of a blood transfusion oh, wow. uh, because you know the people didn't know it. So I'm I'm very sensitive to you know as anybody is who's lost people, and so many people have lost people. But I, I think you know I think a lot of people, including myself, think well, just sort of that battle appears to be won. You don't hear a lot about HIV transmission anymore. Right. Yeah, that's something that. Um well, I could spend a whole other show talking about that. Um, but well, I, we'll have you back, but because <laughs> I, I think that's important. If you're seeing a lot of people walk in with HIV, that's shocking, really. Well, I think we still, I want to say 2018, we had about 290, wow. 280 some odd cases in the state, um, which again, compared to other states, is not that high. Right. Um, but, you know, we've, we've always kind of hovered around that 300 mark for the last couple of years. So it is still something that's happening. I think when you look again, kind of on that societal level, it's not something that we talk about anymore. It's not something right. that's sexy anymore. Um, you know, when it first came out and you would get a diagnosis and, and you know, the mortality rate was like, three weeks after being diagnosed. Oh, it was awful, yeah. Right? Then it was something to talk about. Yeah. But once medications got better, people started living longer, um, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't sexy anymore. Right. Um, so we don't hear about it, even though it's still something that's going on and, and I think needs to be talked about. Right. Okay. Well, listen, um, William Greer with the uh, program, the Red Door Clinic, uh, thank you so much for your information and, and insights, and obviously, I think a lot, a lot, a lot more talking about this kind of needs to be done because oh, uh, sure. just listening to you, it's it's obvious that people are still suffering and people are still getting these diseases that are obviously very, very dangerous and potentially even deadly. Yeah, and on the bright side, people are coming in and getting tested too, and that's, that's good. See, that's the most important thing: is come and get tested, uh, get treated, and and get the help you need. All right. That's great. Well, thank you so much, William. We really appreciate your time this evening. Yes, thank you. Okay. All right. Fascinating stuff. Uh, yes. Anyway, so just uh, – it's interesting because, you know, I do remember the AIDS epidemic. And my, my cousin that died, and her name was Esme. I was named after her. She was, so, she was my mother's age. She died in the uh, 1980s of – AIDS, and at first they didn't know what it was, but it was actually a blood transfusion. Uh, she had breast cancer, and she got a blood transfusion. This is before they had, you know, sort of a lock on the blood supply, and we're monitoring that. So it's uh, a terrible, terrible disease. There are obviously a lot of advances made, but it's, it's interesting to hear William Greer talk about that in the Red Door Clinic, which has been on the front lines for so long talk about how they're still seeing cases of HIV and certainly they're seeing increases in other sexually transmitted diseases. All right, folks, we do have to take a break and pay some bills. So we'll be back after this. You're listening to News Talk 830. It is 6.56 on a Saturday evening. Esme Murphy, great to be back with you. Uh, It has been so long since I've been on on a Saturday evening. It's been three months of course, the twins had an amazing run, and I was kind of optimistic that the run would continue. And I didn't really—I I feel really badly. The Susan Blanche, who produced this show, I was just—I—it never occurred to me to reach out to her until Monday, or when when they lost the last. When did they lose the last game? Was it Monday night, or yep. uh, it was Tuesday morning? And so then I. Um, you know, and Dave Schultz, who we're going to have on at uh, 8 o'clock, was in Latvia, so we couldn't reach him. We didn't know if he'd be available, so she had to book other guests. And I just – it never occurred to me to say, hey, Susan, let's get a show ready because uh, 
I didn't think there was going to be one, but maybe next year. Maybe next year. We we just got to think about that. Um, anyway, it's really, really fun to be back. I, I really enjoy it. Um, I, I wish the weather were a little better. I know that uh, a lot of you are out and about. I know a lot of people may be still heading to that gopher game at TCF Bank Stadium. That's going to be a little bit chilly, folks. Uh, you know, definitely wet and it's windy and cold. But, hey, um, as I said earlier, I saw some people in snowmobile suits headed out to the game. Yeah, it's October 12th, but... You got your snowmobile suit ready. What can I say? This is Minnesota, gosh darn it all. Uh, anyway, uh, coming up in our next hour, we're going to be talking about China and the NBA as well. And what are these protests in Hong Kong really about? How popular is the NBA in China? And what is the future of the NBA in terms of worldwide expansion, but also in China with the controversies over free speech? Keep it here. You're listening to News Talk A30. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.